Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Yoshi Takamura is on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Konnichiwa. <laughs> Yoshi, you're joining us from Japan, where you were born and where you work now at iWine.jp. Uh, but how did you get started with wine? Sure thing. Well, I thought the interview was going to be conducted in Japanese, but uh, <laughs> I suppose English would work as well. But uh, thank you for having me. Um, how, how I got the job is, in, um, well, basically how I got started in the wine business is, right? Yeah is um, basically I didn't grow up in a family of wine. So my, my dad and my, my mom used to drink, uh, you know, very little amount of beer every night with, with a meal. And I had, I didn't know anything about wine. And on a, on a special occasion, they would drink a blue nun from, uh, from Germany. And that was pretty much my only exposure to wine when I was uh, growing up. And uh, how I got interested in, in wine is um, when I was in college, um, I was uh, fortunate enough to take a, a wine course at Cornell. Oh, at Cornell, yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Cornell is one of those uh, special uh, universities where uh, the underage law doesn't exist. It's exempt from the underage law. So oh, I didn't anybody, know that. anybody who is under the age 21 can, can actually take a wine course and then drink a wine. Um, if you're enrolled in that course. I imagine there'll be a lot more admissions once this podcast gets out. <laughs> more applications oh boy. going on. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, yeah, so that's how I got, um, I got started in wine, obviously for, for, for the wrong reasons in the beginning because I just wanted to get drunk. Yeah. Um, but as, um, as I got interested more and more about wine, I, I, it just kind of came to me that it would be actually really nice to 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 be able to do this as as a job uh, after I graduate. So so then I kind of you know started studying more about wine and and then that's when I uh, got the job at Tribeca Grill after graduating from college. So you're working yeah. with David Gordon? Yeah, I was. Um, actually, how I got um, started at Tribeca was, um, and when I was looking for a job at Cornell, Drew Porn is also a an alumni of mine at Cornell. So Drew and David are both alumni of Cornell. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was looking through the list of um, the alumni and was looking for a person to call or to email to because I was looking for a job. So I said, listen, I'm you know, from Cornell, da, 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 da. I'm a senior, I'm graduating. Um, is there any chance you can give me a job? So 
that's how um, that's how I got started at Tribeca Grill. And what was that experience like? Uh, great, absolutely great. I wouldn't be here without uh, without that experience at Tribeca Grill. Uh, you know, obviously, when you think you know wine, you don't know anything about wine. Yeah. So at Tribeca, when I started, obviously, I thought I knew everything about wine because I had studied at Cornell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was confident about my knowledge, but, you know, little did I know. I mean, I I met David and, and David was like, okay, so if you're interested in wine, you have to study and you have to go downstairs to the cellar and clean the cellar. And that's how you get started in the wine business. And so I took that seriously and you know, Tribeca had a amazing wine this one I had joined there already, but it, it was a list of about 500 wines uh, on the list and they had a best of awards from the Wine Spectator. And it had, a, it had an amazing wine list. And what, what year was that? That was year 2000. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So kind of, there was still boom time. Absolutely. Especially for downtown. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, those were the days when we bought Rumier Bomar for $50 a bottle wholesale. You know, so. Not much has changed. No, right? Not much has changed. <laughs> so, so then um, I started actually even coming in on my days off to, to um, go downstairs to the cellar and, and clean the cellar. Uh, Tribeca had a, a fair amount of stock downstairs that, that wasn't listed on the wine list. So by, by cleaning the cellar downstairs, I would say really able to kind of um, list, you know, the wines that weren't listed on the wine list. And you actually found stuff actually that knew where it was. Stuff, yes, yeah. that were, had actually know, seen yes, the vintage yes. and stuff. And uh, so basically we brought the selection of, of wines up to roughly about uh, 700 or so by, by oh. just, we, we added you, roughly you found 200, 200 to 250. Selections just down there? Selections downstairs. Just How long had Trebekka Grill been open at that time? Trebekka Grill was open, um, it opened in 1990. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so 10 years uh, later, it is, you're like, yes. hey, look, we got some stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, initially Daniel Jones, I think, started the wine this, um, you know, and David would kill me for, for saying this, but, uh, and then David took over and uh, it, it, from the beginning, it had an amazing wine list. Amazing, amazing wine list. And actually, David showed me a copy of the old uh, Tribeca Girl list at one point, and it, there was like a Marcasan Chardonnay on the list for like $45 or something like that. Really? Really, really? ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, so the wine list grew to about 700 uh, to 750. And that's when I said to David, David, listen, we, we need to go for the Grand Award because that would yeah. create uh, the hype. And it would really help us become a, a wine destination restaurant. Sure. And because Tribeca, while it had an amazing reputation, it never was a wine destination restaurant. It was one of those great food, great place, uh, you know, Drew's characters, Drew's uh, personality. Uh, everything was fantastic, but it was never known as a wine restaurant. So I wanted, I convinced David to um, basically buy a lot more wine. Uh, and add to the list so that we could uh, apply for the for the grand award. So you cleaned everything up, and then you told him to buy more stuff. That's so correct. he was probably a pretty happy guy. That's you're correct. Like, Wait, you're telling me everything's clean? <laughs> we know where it is. I can find it, and you want me to buy more yeah. stuff, yep. more toys? Okay. Yep. So that's when um, we got the approval from Drew to buy more wines to add to the list, so we could go for the grand award. And we attended auctions and, and, and bought stuff from collectors and basically amassed a, a list of roughly about 1,200 selections together. 
And so we, you almost doubled it. Yes, absolutely. Because we realized that maybe 1,200 was kind of like the, the line that we needed to be at. Kind of seemed for, like for that. The, for the grand It seemed award. like 1,000 was kind of right. the line. Yeah. Right. So, so we did it. And on the first year, magically, we, uh, we, we got the grand award. And since then, Tribeca had transformed into a, an amazing um, restaurant. Uh, not just a restaurant, but an amazing wine destination restaurant. So I uh, I worked at Chabaka Grill on the floor as a as a sommelier for um, about five years uh, until about two thousand five, and and uh, it was a lot of Chateau news to pop on the wine list. Absolutely. Um, that actually came from David. At Tribeca Grill, we had two specialties. One was uh, Chateau Neuf de Pop, which we had about 250 selections of. I'm sure by now it's it's up to about 500 selections. It's probably mostly Chateau Neuf. But uh, another specialty that we had at, at Tribeca was uh, a Rieslings. Uh, and that came from me because back then I thought, I still think, but I thought Riesling was like the grape variety that, you know, that's just amazing. So... We had a selection of about 70 to 80 Rieslings on the list. And back then, you know, that was unheard of. Unheard of for a restaurant to have 70 to 80 selections of Rieslings. And they were from like Alsace or Germany? Or? Mainly Germany because I loved, um, wow. I loved the whole terroir and the, and the vineyard naming system of, of Germany that was very similar to Burgundy, which, which I also loved. Sure. So there was a, a common thread that I saw in Germany that I, that I saw in, uh, in Burgundy. So that's why. You know, Were there challengers serving German wine back at that time? Uh, actually, I, I think I think they they're still sitting on some of the stock that I bought. Back there, so. <laughs> yeah. so to answer your question, yes, uh, that is definitely a challenge to sell these things to consumers. Um, a lot of it is because, unfortunately, the ones that are exported out to the U.S. and to the world are that sweet, mm-hmm. and most consumers uh, don't uh, you know don't like sweetness in their wines. So it's certainly a challenge, but. You know, I'm sure those wines after, I don't know, it's been 10 years now, so I'm sure sweetness has dried up a little bit and, and they're, they're great to go right now. Sure. <laughs> and what, at what point did Patrick Capiello kind of uh, join the team? Uh, Patrick started out at Tribeca Grill as, as a waiter, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, that was, I can't remember, but I'm sure it was like 2000 or 2001. It was shortly after I had joined and Patrick was uh, interested in wine, but he wasn't serious about wine. But we started talking about the possibility of working together at Tribeca Girl on the floor because, you know, it's it was a busy restaurant. We did 500, 600 covers a night. Wow, so, it's a big place. Yeah, and, you know, for me to be the only sommelier on the floor, uh, I was uh, literally on the floor uh, by myself. And 500 covers is a lot, dude. Insane. insane. To do by yourself. That's insane. insane. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we were looking for somebody who was passionate about wine, who we could, we could trust. And, uh, we, and we found Patrick. So he started doing what I started doing, which was that he, you know, went downstairs to the cellar and started cleaning and, and arranging all the stuff. And that's how Patrick came about. I mean, was it interesting to, in a way, kind of organically build a big list? I mean, it was almost kind of like, oh, hey, we, maybe we do need a sommelier, as opposed to kind of a few years later, I felt like people kind of were like, okay, so we got our five sommeliers ready for the opening. And you know what I mean? They yeah. they brought big lists from the beginning, but it was kind of like you guys kind of were like, well, I think we could get away with this. I think yeah. we could do it bigger. I think we could add a guy. Yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting transition because you know all of the waiters were, were not used to this concept of sommeliers on the floor, obviously. Uh, I mean, David has been there since day one. So they all the waiters knew that 
when somebody had questions about wine, they would call David downstairs in the office when uh, where he'd be doing office work or desk work. And he would come upstairs and, and approach a table. And, and that's, how, that's how it was before. But, you know, all of a sudden we had a dedicated sommelier on the floor, which significantly increased uh, wine service, uh, as well as waiter's wine knowledge. So, um, you know, back then waiters really didn't know much about wine, but after getting the Grand Award, we, we had, uh, you know, developed a, a training system where, you know, all the waiters were, were required to know a certain amount about wine. And it was definitely a, a positive change for, for Tribeca Grow. Yeah. And how did that uh, come about after five years where you made the move to Veritas? Yeah, Tribeca was um, uh, was great, absolutely great, where I got exposed to not only French wines, but also uh, wines from other countries, like California, especially Australia, New Zealand, Austria, Germany. I mean, all these regions, uh, all these wines from these, these regions were, you know, I was fascinated by these wines, but... And they were just kind of coming out of the New York scene. Yes. You didn't see a lot of New Zealand prior not to that. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So um, basically, um, I wanted to specialize in something. And I've always had a, a, an affinity for German Rieslings and, and Burgundies. But I was smart enough to realize that, you know, you can't make a living with, with German Rieslings. I know you can, you know, Paul Greco might be able to, but you know, I knew I couldn't. So... I realized that Burgundy is something that I really wanted to, to concentrate on. So when I was looking for a, a new place to work at, um, I realized that the Veritas had one of the most amazing wineists, uh, you know, in the US, if not the world. So I wanted to really concentrate on, on, on older wines that are a little bit more special than say a $40 bottle of uh, Australian wine on the list. So that's when uh, I approached Tim Kopeck and said, uh, is there any way uh, that I can get a job there? And coincidentally, somebody was leaving there. So I, I got a job. Well, it worked out pretty good. And yeah. I mean, at that time, though, it was still like, even though they were special wines, they weren't crazy expensive. I mean, I would imagine. It, they, they absolutely weren't. Um, I mean, I mentioned Rumier Balmar, but you know, in 2005, Rumier Balmar was maybe about 75 bucks. Uh, 85 bucks wholesale wholesale yeah so it was slowly but surely you know coming up definitely but it, it certainly wasn't the burgundy scene that you see right now do you feel like you guys helped create that burgundy scene me no um i actually just came at the at the tail end of it uh who who really created this is is daniel janice uh, and along with with him you know tim who both worked at Morache together they absolutely created this this whole burgundy scene and you know with the la Polay and everything you know you can kind of see that happening so do you ever give them a hard time about that uh, like <laughs> you know i used to be able to afford room yeah it's their fault for, for introducing <laughs> that's room. the guy right, right there get him actually he, you know. yeah daniel would admit it it's he, it's his fault for you know introducing dovisad and and raveno and rumier and you know all these guys to to these collectors we could, and because that's when these collectors started uh, catching on with with this you know with this wine and so the way veritas was set up you had some partners who uh invested some of their their wine their cellar into the 
to the the wine program at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so that was Steve Verlin. And in Park B. Smith. And what were they like to work with? What was that experience like? It was uh, unique, uh, I I would say for sure. Uh, Park uh, was uh, an amazing, uh, amazingly generous guy. Uh, he loves uh, wines from the Chateau Neuf, which, you know, obviously I had a pretty good uh, background knowledge of from Tribeca Girl. So it was absolutely amazing to be able to to chat and, and drink, to chat about and drink the Chateau Neuf de Bob together with, with Park because he was just so generous. He would uh, pop open, you know, corks of older wines and magnums and, and he would share with us and it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And Steve had died. Um, he actually just passed away in 2000, I think seven, um, roughly around two years into my, my tenure at, at, at Veritas. But before he had passed away, he had a passion for Burgundy, which I also had a passion for. So he and I shared, you know, a lot of conversation about how, how great so-and-so producers are and, you know, so-and-so vintage is drinking well and so-and-so is not. So we really had an amazing uh, interaction together regarding you know wines that we were both interested in. Seems like yeah. he really liked wine. Yeah, Steve. he was truly passionate about it. Truly, yeah. Because he came into Danielle once. I remember took yeah. care of him, and he was just he was into it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it was nice. Yeah, and what's amazing about those two are, you know, they loved wine in magnum formats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, at Tribeca Grill, we had maybe two magnums on the list of the twelve hundred. But when I came to Veritas, the list was almost like 30% magnums. So that's, you know, I didn't realize magnums could be so great, right? I mean, I, I was reading books and, and, and uh, I guess magnums aged twice as, as slow as, as regular bottle, but you know, I never realized that until I actually tasted those, those magnum bottles versus the 750s. You can see the difference. Fr- just how much more fresh and vibrant those, those magnums are. And, you know? and you get more people drunk. That's correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Somehow the staff yes. has room for a glass too. And, and the sommelier can have a full glass <laughs> instead of just a sip for an ounce. So it sounds like a better format to me all around. But there had to be some memorable moments at Veritas during the, the go-go time. I mean, uh, what really stands out for you? Um, I, one of the, let's see, the one that stands out to me the most was when... Um, this Mexican billionaire uh, rented out Veritas for lunch, which it wasn't even open for lunch. We were just a dinner only restaurant, but he had uh, rented out uh, Veritas for lunch for six people. And- Because the restaurant usually holds more people than that. That's correct. That is correct. So basically six people, those guys were just in the corner of the room and they were popping up Oh, uh, corks of you know forty-five Mouton magnums and forty-seven Chevaubank magnums, sixty-one wow. Petrus magnums, and the the entire bill was just something crazy, right? But to be able to taste that kind of range of wines all in just you know a couple of hours, that that is really you know what's special about Veritas. It's that even during dinner service, it you know you just never know somebody might pop in and. And you know, open a bottle of of Crocodile Two Magnum Ninety from from Jair, and um, that's what made that place just so special. Yeah. And what did you take working from Tim? Tim was great. Um, let's see, where should where should I start? 
Tim uh, was, he, you know, obviously his, he had lots of knowledge about Burgundy, which I was happy to um, acquire from, from working with him. But not only that, he kind of showed me <clears throat> the importance of, of not being too dedicated to selling wine on the floor at, at restaurants. Meaning, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Meaning he, you know, he, obviously I thought what, what, what's most important was being on the floor and talking to customers and, and, and selling wine. I thought that was like the most important job of a sommelier, but he taught me that in addition to, to that, what's important for the sommeliers is to, from outside of the restaurant, to establish networks and, and really kind of connect with these collectors. So you basically open yourself up to more opportunities later on. And he was, uh, he, he's certainly amazing at that, as you can see right now. So he, he taught me a lot about, not so much about, about wine, but really so much, really more about uh, how, to, how to kind of expand your, your career uh, outside of the restaurant business. And Patrick eventually joined you at Veritas. Yes, <clears throat> um, I was I was I was lonely, and I knew that Patrick also wanted to um, work with a, a different wine list. So I I said to David, um, you know, is there any chance that that Patrick could could come over and work at, at Veritas? And David was um, was kind enough to let Patrick go and and to to give us the opportunity to work You're saying he didn't again. like Patrick very much. <laughs> he didn't say that. No, but. <laughs> but so then Patrick uh, followed me me to, to Veritas and we, we started our, our our wine program again together with Tim. So, and those, uh, I was there for about four years and that was a special, special time for me. Yeah. You you drinking that much forty five mouton still? <laughs> yes, or, yes, so. that helps. Well, no, actually, right now I'm drinking uh, you know Chilean organic wine that costs eighty dollars a bottle. So what's that husband. transition been like? You went back to Japan. <laughs> Everyone thought you were dead over here. <laughs> I think you know no one had heard from you. It's like it's, I don't know. It's like, funny. Yesterday you fell in a volcano. Yeah. And, you know. Yesterday at La Pole, I was uh, I I must have met you know I don't know. A ton of people, a lot of new faces, a right? lot of a lot yeah. of new faces. But you know, some of the old uh, familiar faces were like, "Oh my god, where have you been?" Well, you also changed your haircut a lot, so it's like, "Oh, did you're I?" Like, you're like, oh, "I don't know who realize. is that guy." I don't even realize. <laughs> but, but so you went back to Japan, and yeah. and what happened then? The reason why I wanted to go back to Japan was because I was missing uh, my family. Okay, and you know, I loved wine, I loved the restaurant business, but it was getting to me a little bit because of, you know, nights and weekends and holidays. And I was losing a lot of my, my friends uh, because I couldn't, I couldn't be with them. Yeah. So my friends prefer that about me. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's the <laughs> they, deal we have. keep you away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't actually hang out with me too much, you can call me a friend. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the contract that I often have signed. You know. That's funny. Uh, so that's when I decided that I wanted to to go back to Japan, and uh, you know, part of one of the reasons for for going back to Japan was to find a job that didn't require me to be on the floor uh, every night. Sure. So that pretty much ruled out the restaurant business because there's no wine centric restaurant that's only open for lunch. Yeah, right? maybe we should do that. <laughs> Who wants to get blasted right? at lunch? Mexican billionaires. Especially in Japan where there's absolutely no culture of drinking wine for lunch. So 
uh, I knew that that restaurant was was not uh, the way to go. And so I started reaching out to to wine distributors where I could you know, have a little bit more of a, a, a serene, uh, calm. So that's when I met uh, Michael Koo, who is the president of Wine & Style right now. We are a an importer of uh, fine California wines into Japan. So we specialize in California wines. 90% of our portfolio is about California and roughly 10 is is from the rest of the world. Okay. Uh, and as part of that business, we have a, a retail uh, online business, which is iWine.jp that I'm responsible for. So we sell not only wine online, but also you know through seminars and classes that I do. We develop a list of uh, private clients and, and we sell directly to, uh, to these guys. Obviously the wines that we import ourselves, we have a better margin on because we have control over the prices, but we also buy wines from other importers as well. So and on, on those wines, we have to pay the full, uh, full wholesale price. So, you know, I mean, I do, I do all of the selections f for the site and it's been nothing but an amazing transition for me to go back to Japan. What's the wine scene like there uh, today? I mean, what's, what's... It's, it's up and coming. Uh -huh. People are realizing that wine is, is an amazing beverage and it's, it's got a lot of, um, it's good for your health too, because, you know, sake, as popular as it is in, in Japan, it's got lots of sugar. Is that true? Absolutely. I didn't know that. Absolutely. How do I know that? No, I said oh. I didn't know. Oh, that. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Where's your lab yeah. analysis? <laughs> right. If you're yeah. gonna state claims on the podcast, you better have some some facts to back <laughs> it up. I want charts. Right. So you know, sake and beer are are not necessarily the best thing to for for, for your health. So you know, in terms of of health. Uh, you know, Japanese are, tend to be very health conscious there, so no doubt uh, they they started realizing the benefits of drinking you know, red wine and and you know tannins and and polyphenol and everything. So the wine scene is definitely up and coming, uh, but it's still not part of everyday life. Does it tend to fit in more towards uh, like French and Italian restaurants in Japan, or do people have it with uh, Japanese food as well? Or very French centric. And wine is some, still something of a um, special occasion beverage in Japan. I see. So you would not see a, a regular household in Japan drinking a bottle of wine with their dinner every night. That's not happening. Uh, and that's one of the challenges that, that I face. It's that you know, I'm trying to convince these guys to really drink uh, wine with, uh, you know, I don't know, udon, ramen. I mean, ramen is, is a different story, but... Um, I'm trying to convince Japanese consumers to really, you know, uh, uh, have an open mind in terms of pairing Japanese food with, with, with wine. And I hear a lot about natural wine being popular in Japan. Is that, is that true? Uh, it's popular, but uh, personally, I don't like them. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. But but there is a market segment. There's definitely it. a market for it. Yeah. What what is the market like? I mean, uh, when we, I go to grocery stores, I see a lot of like Petit Chateau Bordeaux that mm -hmm. I've never heard of. Uh, when I go to the the nice stores, I see a lot of uh, expensive Burgundy. Right. Um, I, I mean, what's the reality on the on the ground? Right. Market is a very French centric. So I would, I mean, I don't know, but I would say maybe about 65% of all the wines sold in Japan are probably from France. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, people tend, they tend to drink by what the label says. I see. Yeah. So that's what I mean by, by the level of knowledge, not 
being where it needs to be. It's mm -hmm. that, you know, if it says France and Bordeaux on the label, they think, oh, it must be good. So that's really kind of what's going on there right now. So <clears throat> it's, um, it's, a, it's a challenge to, to, to get these guys to, to drink something, you know, a, a wine that they like instead of a wine that they've heard is good. Is there any tolerance issues, like in terms of alcohol? Japanese drinking alcohol? Absolutely, they tend to get red. Uh, and from from what I read, Japanese don't have the enzyme that that, for example, uh, Americans do to to break down alcohol in their in their stomach. And so that's the reason why they get really pitch red. But you know, I apparently I don't have that problem, so I must have that enzyme in my stomach, which is great. You know? It's in the water. Yeah, here, in the <laughs> but I mean, whiskey's really popular there. So how yeah. does that work? I mean, it, people. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, wine is a is a special special beverage when you know that's consumed when they go out to 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 a nice restaurant. Uh, whiskey is something that's consumed, uh, you know, after dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's. You know, I mean, it's popular, but people drink it because because it's alcohol. It's they don't drink it because because they think a certain whiskey is fantastic. Is it, that true? Yeah. And do you kind of think that in a way you almost kind of return to that proto sommelier era of New York over there? It's kind of like, oh, okay, that was kind of early in on the the sommelier scene and the big wineless scene, and there it's kind of just starting to occur as well. Or, um, yeah, that's true. Well. It's it's way behind though. I mean, if is that true? It, way behind, way behind. Like for example, you know, when I started at, in New York, it was two thousand. The the level of sophistication of wine then is is nowhere near what it is right now in Japan. So, do you remind people of that often? You're like, uh, let me explain to you who I am. I try, I try, but <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because it's such a traditional culture then things change extremely slowly. Is that true? Yeah. They're not looking for change. They're not looking for change. So for uh, some, you know, half American dude like me to come over there and say, okay, let's start drinking Chablis with your sashimi. Right. I don't know, they don't want to listen to me. They don't want to listen they don't to, want to listen to me. They do listen to celebrities. So, you know, they, they should really hire somebody like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio to, to come over there and say, okay, drinking wine with sashimi is a fantastic thing to do. And then it'll become a, a trend and, and it'll become part of a part of a lifestyle. Yeah, I see like, uh, what's that guy from Men in Black? The, uh, uh, the older Smith? guy. No, the, the older guy. What was his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Tommy Lee oh, Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, he has I coffee see him on, Yeah, I see him on ads all the time yeah. over there for yeah, like yeah. coffee and stuff. Yeah, like, he what's he doing? He doesn't drink any wine? <laughs> no, like, let's get does. him in a wine Apparently scene, he drinks you know? coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boss. <laughs> right. But I mean, uh, so are there publications or people searching things out? I mean, I, I, one thing I've noticed about Japanese in general is they tend to be very studious when they're interested in a subject. Yeah. Uh, that's 100% true. Um, in terms of, of wine magazine, they have an amazing array of, of different types of wine magazines with great pictures. So, it, you know, for somebody who wants to learn about wine, it is a, an amazing opportunity for them to have that in front of them because, you know, when I started, all I had was Clive Coates' Cotor. Sure. And How many was, times you read that? Exactly, right? Good at best. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> you're like, page 323, it's, it's, paragraph six. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that, that 
Patrick and I always used to joke about about wines and how you know some wines are, are just good at best because that's one of the the lines that Clive Cole oh, has in the right, line. right, right, yeah, right, or like worst at best or something like right, that. right, right, right. <laughs> well, I love when they say like first division, second division. I'm like, what are you talking exactly. about? Like, I don't have any idea what you mean. Exactly. Like, first division is not as good as like Imperial Guard or I don't know. They have their own. Uh, right classification is just like some rugby side thing i don't know <laughs> yeah but you know going back to the the publication uh, conversation i japanese have so much uh, in front of them if they really wanted to 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 study about wine so you know availability of information is certainly not not what's concerned here what's concerned is the um is that wine is a luxurious beverage in japan so sommeliers often don't get to taste a lot of wines on the floor and in their restaurants. Is that true? Absolutely true. I opened up a bottle of Valentini Trebbiano at Pierre Gagnard, and there was like four sommeliers, like tasting. (laughs) Huddling huddling around the wine station. Like I I thought it was maybe a big deal. Like all, I I mean, dudes that came in off the street, I think they called people. Like, get here. What are you doing? Absolutely. Are you up? Like, you know, it was a lot of guys suddenly over there. Because I went to the bathroom around the corner and they were all over there. I felt like being, hey, Patrick. Oh, you know what I mean? (laughs) You know what I mean? That's funny. You know, so that's uh, funny. It appeared all these guys in the you know the braggart jackets. Uh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. you're the sommelier guy. Yeah, no, that's funny. yeah, that's that's how it works. And I know, I mean, there are lots of fine dining restaurants in Tokyo that that have fantastic wine lists. And there, sure, some expensive wines get get opened uh, once in a while. Um, but you know, with the economy and everything, really, Japanese sommelier, a typical Japanese sommelier's exposure to fine wine is significantly limited uh what patrick and i experienced at veritas is you know it just doesn't exist doesn't exist that, that drinking culture does not exist what is the average sale over there i mean at, at, at a restaurant or at retail either one I did, it varies but you know most people are comfortable spending anywhere between 15 to 20 dollars on a bottle of wine retail that is okay, okay yeah and what what's hard to sell are wines in between 50 to 100 dollars a bottle and okay. that's kind of like the range where it's really difficult to, to sell there anything over you know a hundred dollars there's always a market for those expensive ones and that's not that's not difficult but really japanese tend to go for uh quantity rather than quality at this point so for example online i have a a set of 12 bottles for uh 99 and that flies like hotcakes it's room yeah yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm a ruse so what's the internet culture like in terms of, of wine in it's, Japan? It's difficult for me, Levy. It's, it's, it's extremely difficult because, you know, when I was on the floor, I would be able to really look at the customer in the eye and yeah. say, you know, this wine is fantastic. You need and, to trust you me. You absolutely need to trust me and this is, you should drink this. But on the internet, I'd have to, to translate that passion by, write, by writing and, and Facebook <laughs> yeah. and tweeting about it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's great. Thumbs yeah. up, bro. <laughs> so it's definitely a, a difficult transition for me. And writing is, is not my forte, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I can write, but it's not my forte. I'd rather speak than write. So it's, it's, diff- it's definitely a, a challenge for me that, that I'm encountering. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. And, you know, and, and I have to write in, in English and in Japanese. So for a guy who's lived 20 years in America, writing Japanese is, you know, oh boy. 
<laughs> is that what they kind of look to you for? Is the English part of it too? Like absolutely, we we actually little... iWine is a, a special site because we not only have a, a a Japanese entrance to the site, but also English entrance to the site. So all of the wines descriptions are are in English, and prices are listed in in English, and and it's Japanese yen, but and everything is is basically English. So uh, I I'm in charge of both the Japanese side and the English side. So and I do all the the customer support for both of them. So it's it's definitely a, a challenge for me. Yeah. You, f- you find there's a, a, a fairly broad English-speaking base of customers uh, in Japan? That's for sure, um, especially before the earthquake. We had lots of expats and, and people from, from all over the world, uh, you know, coming to Tokyo. And, and, and like I said, you know, with those... With those guys, their level of knowledge of wine was was significantly high. So they would come to our site and, you know, buy us as a six pack of Dovisat online, and and that was amazing. But after the earthquake, that has changed a little bit. All of the expats left, and and now it's you know it's slowly coming back, but it's still not at the point where it needs to be. So you know, we'll see. Whereas people may have been like, I'm going to go to Tokyo. Now they're kind of like, well, maybe not. Yeah, exactly. If they don't have to. For yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so you, you sell across the country? Uh, we sell uh, all around the country. Yep. We, we ship, uh, and but we don't sell out of the country. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, Japanese uh, law is, is very strict about that kind of stuff. So is that can, true? Yeah, we can only sell within the country, but well, we ship all over Japan. What's the difference between like... Hokkaido, Kyoto, Tokyo markets. I mean, how do those things? Yeah, differ? yeah. I mean, I can only speak from from my perspective, my perspective, because I don't know about Hokkaido. But I can say that you know, if you go to Roppongi in, in the heart of Tokyo, you'll you'll see you know lots of of wine shops that have you know Chateau Latour, Chateau Margaux. But I'm sure that's not the same if you go to you know Hokkaido or Shigoku. Uh, which are islands in Tokyo, uh, and I'm sure you'll see some bodegas selling, you know, sake and and shochu. But you're not going to see first growth Bordeaux or or Grand Cru Burgundy sold at those places. So we actually have a fair amount of customers buying from those islands, and because you know they don't have access to fine wine that we have on iWine, so they want to do it over the internet. Yeah, yeah, because there's not there's not the retailer yeah. presence that could kind of yeah. help them through. Yep, interesting. And if you were, uh, you know, pairing up different wines with with Japanese food, with actual Japanese food, I mean, what would be suggestions? You mentioned dovasad and, and sashimi. Does does riesling have an application? Maybe riesling does, uh, but riesling because of its its strong minerality, um, it's not always great with all of the the raw fish that comes on a on a sushi plate. So you know, riesling is. Uh, is something that I don't really recommend with um, with sushi all the time. I mean, I recommend Chablis. Chablis is just just great. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and do you find the Japanese like it a little drier? Absolutely, absolutely. It's but my it's, experience, too. but it's it's strange though because sake, like I said, sake has a lot of sweetness in them, but they tend to like sake. And generally speaking, Japanese cuisine has a lot of sweetness uh, in them. Is that true? All across the board, absolutely. I never thought about that. Yeah. So I think the the number of like diabetes is 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 significantly high in Japan. Is that is yeah. that true? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. it's a concern for for Japanese health definitely. But you know, it, Reese things is uh, Chablis is great with uh, with sashimi uh, and sushi uh, for red wine. Anything that has that is soy sauce based, mm-hmm. I think is great with red wine. 
uh, a, like fish that is braised in, in, in miso or soy sauce, uh, great with Pinot Noir. Uh, so there's a dish called sukiyaki, which sure. is, yeah. That's, Where you cook the with one, with wine, right? You with, cook it with wine. You cook it with soy sauce, basically. Oh, soy sauce. Yeah, oh, okay, okay. It's 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 kind of a hot pot where you you cook with um, it's a, it's a beef hot pot. Yeah, where you cook with soy sauce. That's fantastic with like cabernet. Uh, there's you know wine pairing is is infinite. Options are infinite for, with Japanese food and and wine. You, so, do you find that that's still? I mean, as you say, kind of being explored a little bit, kind of not really. Fully it, developed, not developed at all. Yeah, so I think of it as as my job to really, you know, whoever I see and whoever I talk to at seminars and classes, I always say that 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 it's absolutely important to to open your mind up to and, and start pairing wine with Japanese food because they tend to go really well together. So, do you find any differences with serving? I see that like Japanese people often will drink like one beer between four guys and then order a different beer for <laughs> the four guys. You know what I mean? Like they'll share more and they'll take smaller pours. Is there any differences with wine that way? Uh, no, they, they share. It's they the, share. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. So, but it's a bigger bottle. So it's, it's, bigger bottle. it's more like what we would do. Yeah. But you know, what's amazing is uh, if four business uh, people may may sit down for dinner and they would just consume one bottle of wine. That's unheard of in America, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. So, but don't they? I mean, is it like is everyone kind of required to have some? Like, yes. Well, kind of they're thing? they're required to have some in the glass. They're yeah. not required to obviously drink the wine. Right, right, they're right. Required to have some in the glass, just kind of as a, as a courtesy. Uh, I I frequently go to the wrong guy, like to pour. <laughs> <laughs> or frequently I'll start with a woman and I'll get in trouble. Like, That's people, correct. like hands will come up and they'll, That's correct. they'll be like, That's correct. whoa, 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 That's what are correct. you doing? That's you, who are you pouring for? That's so I, I never know, how am I supposed to judge? That's correct. Who's the guy that I, because sometimes the guy who orders isn't the guy that you're supposed to pour for. It's usually the guy who orders is not the guy who yeah. you pour. Yeah, a little, a little tricky. Yeah. <laughs> a little tricky that way. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, I'll tell you what. The trick is to serve to the oldest guy at the table. Is that, that's the yes. rule? Yes, oldest guy. So the oldest guy drinks uh, first and then young guy drinks and then the old lady drinks and then the young lady drinks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like the order. I think I'm going to start asking for ID. <laughs> all right, all you guys pass your IDs down here. We're gonna you are, yeah. yeah. All right, I got a 54 here. All right, you're first. <laughs> Yeah. It's a little tricky. I mean, there's not a lot of cultures that it radically changes. Oh, it's so tricky. You know what I mean? It's so tricky. Like from the Western style. Absolutely. But that that one is like a whole other world. Yeah. And you can really get in trouble doing what you're supposed to do here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, ladies first, the concept of ladies first is still does not exist in Japan. You know, men is, is always, men always come first. And I know a lot of female who, who might be listening to this, may, you know, may not like what I'm saying, but... That's just the truth. That's the experience yeah, you see. The truth. It's slowly changing, but it's it's not changing fast enough. So lots of women don't get the the opportunity that men do, and it's unfortunate. It's absolutely unfortunate. What's the regulatory environment like? I mean, in terms of taxes and things, or is it is it flexible or is it harsh? Or? Tax, as in all for wine. All for wine. Um, everything is a five percent tax in terms of importing or. Oh. Yeah, I mean, oh. I, you know, in some countries, it seems like uh, even in Asia, parts oh, like, of China, there's high taxes, but yeah. Japan's fairly... It's 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 moderate. Yeah. It's, it's Tax is not an issue. I mean, we can bring in anything we want, and tax is, is never an issue. 
So you can. Yeah, so there's really no. I mean, there is tax, but it's it's nothing that that we should be concerned about. I mean, it's something that we built into the cost of the wine, and and that's it. So. No, I mean, like, there's no geographical boundaries, really. Oh, no, not there's at all. No, not at all. Uh, if you it, want to bring in Georgian wine, not at all. I mean, here USSR. in the states, yeah, here in the states, you have the the you have each state um, basically making the law, right? Right. Yeah, but in Japan, it's really countrywide law. So there's no, you know, it doesn't. It's not like if. If Tokyo has one law, then Kanagawa has another law. It's not like that. Wow. So that must make it easier for a it's, venture it's like yours. So, it's so easy. Where you can go countrywide like yeah. that. If something is, is fine in Tokyo, then it's likely fine in, in anywhere you go in Tokyo, in Japan. Wow. Yeah. And what do you see as the future? I mean, in 10 years, what, 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 right. what is going to be happening there? I think with me personally, um, I like the restaurant business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I like that the customer interaction. Uh, I love talking to people about wine. Um, you know, I love tasting wine and I like drinking wine. So eventually, I may go back to the restaurant business, um, but not sure at this point. You know, I I, I still have a lot of do, a lot to do with what I'm doing. So I'm going to continue that for for a while. But who knows? Eventually, I might have my own place in in Tokyo. But uh, we shall see. Right. You've been around a lot of bottles. Any particular drinking moments really stand out for you? Special experience? Mm, there are lots of moments, but uh, you know, if if I had to, if I had to come up with one, um, it would be that um, when I was in the states, Patrick, uh, Daniel, and Tim, and and, and I, uh, the uh, the five of us would go out to to lunch together. And, and once a year, it happens during the holidays, and we would each uh, BYOB a bottle and have a big power lunch. Together. I think I witnessed one of those. Yeah. Yeah, those are oh, pretty yeah, you good. you may have. Yeah. Actually, you may have. Dangerie yeah. from the 20s. There you go. Yeah, I remember that yeah. quite well. Yeah. So that to me is, is I mean, those lunches are, are special to me absolutely special to me that that I wish I could participate in every year, but you know, unfortunately I can't anymore. Uh, not only the level of wine uh, that that was open, I mean, those guys have a lot of wine in their cellar that, that I would love to, to, to drink. Patrick's got a lot of corked wine. Yes, and, and Patrick always brings a corked bottle of wine. <laughs> that happened for about four straight years. <laughs> I don't know if he's if he's still carrying on that tradition, but uh, you know that moment and the quality of wine was fantastic, obviously. But not just that; it's it's the fact that we could. I mean, we, we've all at one point worked together, and it's for us to to be able to come together and really just you know talk about wine, not only wine but also about about ourselves and and and, and everything that that we that we um that we that we've shared so it, the, the moment is special and the wines are special so those are really what stands out to me yoshi takamura thank you so much for being here thank you and excuse my english well, it's, 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 <laughs> no, it's better terrible. than mine <laughs> yoshi takamura of iwine.jp thank you again all drink to that is hosted and produced by myself levy dalton aaron scala has contributed original pieces Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, 
and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.